Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor Podcast, brought to you by The Herald. Coming up... Really, the pressure that we're having now in the health service is coming from the, the sheer numbers of people that are in who are COVID positive, but not necessarily sick with it. They have to be isolated. All it would take is um, another variant to come and we would essentially be back to square one if it was having a huge impact on the number of deaths and people seriously ill. While we can live with COVID in a society, the NHS hasn't yet found a way to live with COVID. He's absolutely not. The only reason he's off the hook, let's just be honest, is because of Ukraine. Well there, I'm Brian Taylor. Very warm welcome to my latest Herald podcast, Different Today, in that the the First Minister has not long finished updating MSBs about COVID rules. We'll bring you all the details of that and analyse the, the impact of some early reactions we've got in as well. Plus, of course, the very latest from Ukraine. Is there a prospect of peace or at least the, the absence of war in the shape of some form of ceasefire that might hold? And from the Commons, Partygate. You thought it was over. Well, it's back. And once again, it's personal for the Prime Minister to discuss all that. I'm delighted to welcome a top trio from the Herald. Helen McArdle, our health correspondent, Hannah Roger, the Westminster editor, and David Ball, political correspondent. Welcome all, all three. Helen, bring us up to speed with the, the changes just announced by the First Minister, particularly with regard to face coverings. Um, mm. A lot of detail there, wasn't there? Yeah, I, I, maybe slightly different to, to what people were expecting and in some cases hoping for. Um, so we're not seeing a wholesale ending of uh, the face mask law from Monday. Um, if you're going to a place of worship, though, or you're going to something like a, a funeral or a wedding, then as of Monday, you're no longer legally required to wear um, a face covering. Um, but the you know, more common circumstances, uh, wearing them in, in shops, in public transport, um, in gyms, in cinemas, um, you know, places like, in basically the other kind of common indoor settings. Uh-huh. That's not actually going to convert from law into guidance until Easter Monday, uh, which is April the 18th, which is the same day that testing starts to change as well in Scotland. So, 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 so from from Monday, no, no longer absolutely mandated in if you're going to a, a funeral or a wedding or, or 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 to worship, and a fortnight later, no longer mandated on transport and and in shops, but. The First Minister is still suggesting pretty strongly that we do wear face coverings, isn't she? Yeah, and, and I mean, in that sense, uh, you know, that doesn't differ necessarily from other parts of the UK. I mean, in um, in England and Wales and Northern Ireland, it's no longer law in any uh, of those nations either, yeah. but it is still strongly advised. Um, Wales only changed from law into guidance as of Monday of this week. Um, so in that sense, yes, I think people will still consider it, continue to be strongly advised to wear them. Um, but obviously by that time, you're getting closer into summer as well. So yeah. um, people might be socialising more outdoors anyway. Yeah. Yeah, David, David uh, Ball, bring, bring you in here. There's still a, a, a big difference of view from the, the, that put forward by the Conservatives. They, they were having a go at Nicola Sturgeon. And we've also got um, some comments from business, the Scottish Chambers of Commerce, saying they're unhappy at any delay in scrapping the rules because they say it puts, you know, Scottish pubs, et cetera, at a, at a disadvantage and kind of the Tories saying much the same. Well, that's right. I mean, Douglas Ross um, has been quite critical that the mask um, rules have remained in place for so long anyway. 
um, given the sort of infection rates in Scotland have been sort of higher, despite the fact we've had these these extra rules in place. Um, Nicola Sturgeon obviously said this is a sensible balance given the high number of cases. But um, Douglas Ross basically saying that the choice of whether people should wear a mask should be down to individual choice rather than being sort of mandated from yeah. from the, the government. Um, and as you mentioned, businesses are quite upset that um, there's basically a lack of a full nations approach. As yes. Helen mentioned, other parts of the UK, they don't have these rules. Um, businesses are kind of claiming that it puts sort of businesses up here at a, a disadvantage in, in competition with, with sort of businesses down south and in Wales. But Hannah, just to bring you in on the, on, on the general point here as well, I mean, the, the background to this, of course, is the figures in Scotland are really high. You know, the figure yesterday was the highest it's been. It's, it's in terms of hospital access. It's down a bit today. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon's saying it seems almost to have been kind of touch and go from, from what, what, what I, I interpreted of what she was saying. You know, the, the case numbers are still very, very high indeed, but suggesting that the, the, the pandemic may have peaked. And, and that's the, the basis for letting things go in a couple of weeks time. No, I was just going to say, I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, what difference does it make in terms of yeah. the latest announcement when, as you say, you know, the cases are so high. Um, but it's interesting because obviously, like, I'm down in London, and so we've had a sort of reduction in the measures for, for a while now. And uh-huh. it just feels kind of like, I don't know... Not, not that, not saying the pandemic is over by any means, but I think people okay. are not as stressed about it as they were before. That's you really know? interesting. Is that the mood in 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 London? You just think folk just think it's it's kind of by. I think so. I think you know. Obviously, of course, I can't speak for everybody, but I would say that people are more kind of accepting that we're just going to have to live with this virus and. Right. That's a kind of galling thing to say when, you know, me personally and many others, they've lost relatives as a result of it. You know, so I'm not meaning to like cause offence in any way, but I think people are more accepting of the fact like we just have to go on with us somehow. And, you know, that's the way it is. So, sorry, did, did, you, did somebody in your family succumb to the, the, the virus? Well, yeah, my, my extended family, um, oh, someone died from COVID and then... Oh, a relative kind of had a secondary, well, they died basically as a result of a lack yeah. of medical attention due to COVID. So, yeah, um, and I know I'm not alone in that. There's many people who have been affected. So, Indeed. Helen, just picking up on that, the the it seems to me, again, just, just reading between the lines of what the first ones are saying, it seems to have been touch and go. I mean, she, she was stressing, really stressing that case numbers are high, but then saying, oh, on the other hand, you know, you've got to be sensible about this. But she 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 was stressing repeatedly. She was pressed on this by by uh, Douglas Ross. That the, the 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 pressure on the health service has been simply enormous. Yeah, I, I think that is the thing. From when we're talking about living with COVID, I think there's almost um, the way I see it is is like there's two separate branches of living with COVID. There's living with COVID as part of general society. You know, yeah. the rest of us living in the community. Who are especially if we are, you know, healthy people as opposed to, to vulnerable housebound people or things like that. But yeah, I think in society in general has gone to living with COVID, and society in general can live with COVID because the effect of vaccinations, the effect of natural immunity that's been accrued over the course of the pandemic, um, means that you know even among you know the over 80s, that COVID is actually now slightly less lethal than flu. So really the pressure that we're having now in the health service is coming from 
the, the sheer numbers of people that are in who are COVID positive, but not necessarily sick with it. They have to be isolated. Um, there's uh, outbreaks in care homes. And if there's an outbreak in a care home, then you can't discharge patients from hospital into those care homes. And uh -huh. those outbreaks are, I think it's about one in three care homes affected um, by outbreaks now, which is the highest ever. You've also got issues with staff being absent. Now, if you don't have enough NHS staff, you can't staff beds, which means you know, that has an impact on bed capacity. So it's all of these things that are actually meaning that while we can live with COVID in society, the NHS hasn't yet found a way to live with COVID. You know, regardless of the fact that not a lot, not a lot of people are in intensive care, we have, what we are having to look at now and, and what all four nations are looking at now is what are we going to do about these isolation protocols? What are we going to do I see. Um, about you know, testing asymptomatic staff twice a week, which maybe means that more staff are off than would be yes. if we left it to them to actually get sick and be ill and, and be off. Um, these are the things that are being looked at now, um, and undoubtedly in the weeks and months ahead, these protocols are going to change as well as they as we move to living with the with COVID in but the NHS. You, you talk there about living with COVID. You talk there about just get sick and 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 get over it. You know, get through. Is this where we are now? In effect, the the thing that was you know so angrily denied at an earlier stage that that actually the way to sort this was use the hideous phrase herd immunity. But that, that's what we're actually doing. We're just saying, okay, okay, virus, that's it. You want to just spread, just damn well spread, and then pack it in and go and leave us alone. That's that's what we're doing. We're just letting it spread and, and hoping that, that vaccination and, and natural immunity and, and acquired immunity tackles. Well, well, the key to that is, is the fact that we've mass vaccinated, and not just, just mass vaccinated, we've vaccinated multiple times, we've boosted, time, we're on to yeah. fourth boosters. So it's not so much that we're not talking about... Uh, just let it rip strategy really it's like the reason we're in the position we're in is because of the protection that we've got from vaccines and the, the next stage of uh, you know of the pandemic for us um, in the UK now is going to be this shift away from thinking constantly about how we minimize infections and uh -huh. um, which is what the purpose of lockdowns was uh, what the purpose of social distancing and, and, and all these protocols were we have to move away from thinking about minimising infections at all costs to minimising the people becoming sick and people dying. That's yeah. what vaccinations are for, well, that's what the fourth uh -huh. uh, boosters are for. That's also what COVID antivirals are for, which of course is as testing is removed during April and May, the COVID antivirals are going to come in and be more important than ever before, although there is some controversy around who gets access to them. I, mean, I, was, I was glancing back at Spanish flu post the First World War for the avoidance of, of doubt. I didn't cover that particular story, but but it, it lasted round about this this duration. It lasted about two years and a wee bit, and it didn't stop. I mean, it's it you know the Spanish flu after after the First World War is still there. Just we call it flu now. It's it's still there as as a virus. But we is is this what's happening now? It just kind of peters out rather than 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 going with a bang yeah well we're talking about it's a it's a, it's a well-worn word that's i think has been uh, misused an awful lot in recent months this talk about the, the virus moving to an endemic stage and if uh -huh. we're not at the endemic stage yet though what an endemic stage means is steady state it means we get out of this okay. phase that we're in at the moment where we're wave upon wave upon wave you know level now maybe at a comparatively you know, high level, it doesn't mean it's not going to go away, 
it will uh -huh. mean you have this consistent levels that are comparatively high, but through repeat exposure, through vaccinations, through antivirals for those that so need we'll them. So we'll have to get further vaccinations, yeah, okay. Um, I, I think almost certainly. Yeah. I, I, not maybe for uh, healthy under 50s, because okay. we can give, uh, give them the you know, flu vaccines for healthy under 50s, but for the, for the more vulnerable end of the population and the older end of the population, yes, I think um, vaccinations are will be a norm along with the COVID treatments and the COVID antivirals that we've developed. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to be welcoming my, my three healthy under 50s here today as, as guests and uh, at the other end of the spectrum, I, I'm intrigued by what will come. David, I don't know whether you can help us or Helen or Hannah, but uh, on testing and testing kits, this was raised by Jackie Bailey from Labour, by Alex Cole Hamilton from the Liberal Democrats. Uh, David, Helen, maybe David, uh, did, did you listen to the statement? Yeah, you, you, yeah. What, what do you what do you make of that? What, what are are they still available free, or are they available in certain circumstances? Or what, what's the the deal on testing? I, I didn't on testing in schools, for example. I, I didn't quite follow it entirely. Well, I'm not entirely sure, but there are no. people are starting to get a bit worried that they are they are becoming a bit difficult to get a hold of. Um, there's obviously quite a lot of demand because a lot of more people will be needing That's the a full ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and obviously that we know the sort of the free tests are okay. potentially coming to an end for asymptomatic. I like, I like the green. I like the green ones. I think the blue ones are awful, but that, that's just a personal personal predilection. Helen, t t what, what's doing with testing? Yeah, well, the th with testing. So yes, the testing had kind of slipped under the radar. It was mentioned that the last time that she gave uh, that oh. last time Nicola Sturgeon gave an update, but it was almost missed uh, among the, the fuss about face masks again. Um, so of course, testing is coming to an end in England on on Friday. Um, I actually. What is going to happen in, in England and Scotland is comparatively similar, um, but just happening at, at different points. So I think one of the controversies around um, the access to the lateral flow tests, which are the ones uh -huh. that are used for asymptomatic people, uh -huh. they've been a real safety net for people, for example, if uh, if you're worried about visiting an elderly relative, either yes. at home or in a care home, or if you're perhaps an unpaid carer for you know a loved one who's, who's ill and housebound, you know, it could be someone with Alzheimer's or someone with Parkinson's or spinal conditions. Um, basically, from uh, April the 18th, I think it is, um, in Scotland, we're not going to have free access to them universally anymore. Okay. But it also means that people like unpaid carers are, aren't going to have access to them anymore either. Okay. Um, there, there is... There's, it, I think the Scottish government hasn't gone out of its way to explain this to people, which I think is why there is confusion. One of the ways that people will continue to get access to lateral flows ah. is if they have a health condition which makes them eligible for COVID antivirals. First Minister did say that, didn't she? Yeah. She did say that, yeah. Okay. But it's only uh, th there is a list of conditions which make you um, eligible for COVID antivirals, and it's some types of cancer. Uh, things like multiple sclerosis, um, MND, uh, yeah. there's a, a whole list of different things, transplant patients, things like that. Okay. But if you're not on the list of having one of those conditions, then you will no longer be able to get access to, to free LFD. So that is why there is concern, because there are some people with underlying conditions who are worried about their health, and, and they're unpaid carers, they're visitors, whatnot. Um, okay won't be able to get either. I'm, I'm going to ask each of you in a moment where you know where you think we are on this pandemic. But David, another one, maybe maybe David, Helen, either. Um, 
another one to clarify the, the, the state with regard to schools. I think I think it was Jackie Bailey that that raised that concern about you know kids not necessarily getting getting tested properly, maybe feeling ill, you know, worried about whether to stay away, but you know whether to bother the. That, you know, David, what's the situation there as far as, as far as you're aware? Do they still have to wear masks for a, for a bit, presumably until the 18th? After that, where are they? With exams coming up, you know, you, you, they've got to start getting worried again. Well, that's right. Like you said, it's getting into the business end of this, so there's the term for a lot of people. So yeah. the absence thing is going to become a big issue for a lot of people, um, particularly where there's a lot of staff off. So staff making off sure they well, are tested yeah. and, and it doesn't sort of spread within a school is going to be quite crucial in the in the sort of coming months, I think. Yeah, it's a source of anxiety, a source of concern. Well, let, let, let's let's have a go then at a generic question, starting with Hannah, then David, then 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 Helen. I mean, is this the end of the full scale pandemic? You know, in that we're moving towards the the removal of all all legal sanctions. Where, where, you, you, Hannah, living in London as as you do, perhaps perhaps you're there already. What, what's what's your feeling about that? What what's the what's the mood, if you like, about the with regard to this pandemic? Um, I think basically what I said before about people, I feel like people are accepting that we're going to have to live with it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that people would tolerate all these extra, you know, leg- the legal restrictions. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to say it, but compared to what has been going on in Downing Street with the parties, etc., I think it would be very hard for the UK government anyway to enforce any sort of legal restrictions again. So from that point of view, yes. But, you know, Helen's obviously the expert on this element, but what happens if a new variant comes along, which is, you know, throws the whole thing into chaos again? So, yeah. But I think in terms of restrictions, I kind of, I can't see them going backwards and bringing no. in... No, I agree. And I mean, David, Nicola Sturgeon did say she had to reserve the right to review these rules, review the review of the rules, if you like, if, as as Hannah says, a, a different uh, variant comes comes on stream. But she didn't sound awfully certain about that. I, I just don't think people would stick it anymore. I think they've had two years of it, and they're just not going to they're not going to stand it anymore. It's not enforceable. It's not 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 applicable to them. But but where, where are we, David? You know, emotionally almost with regard to the the end or otherwise of the pandemic. Well, I think you're right. I mean, right at the very start of the pandemic, the Scottish government did warn that there would be sort of fatigue with these restrictions. This yep. was just a couple of weeks in, and now we're what two years in, and there's just not that there's not that public buy-in. I don't think if we were in, were to go into a sort of full lockdown, that's why they were so effective, is because the public pretty much all um, met the rules, and that's why we were able to sort of phase it out. But whether it's at the end, we don't know, do we? I mean, quite easy to get another variant or we don't know the impact when we properly open up international travel and people are going about traveling across the world quite freely without taking much account to this. So as it stands with the Omicron variant, it looks like we're quite happy to let the case numbers be high and it just sort of be managed as well as we can. But all it would take is um, another variant to come and we would essentially be back to square one if it was having a huge impact on sort of number of deaths and people seriously ill. Ellen, what's your take on this? Could could we go back to you know the imposition of of legal constraints for goodness sake lockdown? I I'm not sure I could see that. Yeah, I think it would be a hard sell. I, I mean, I don't know how um, likely it is to, to have a you know, a variant on on that scale. Um, because it's interesting, you know, we do talk about Omicron being um, milder, but in actual fact, um, Alpha is. Alpha and Delta were, were more vir, vir, virulent, 
than the mm -hmm. original strain. Um, mm -hmm. So actually, uh, Omicron is really um, just equal to, to the, the very first, the Wuhan strain, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but it's, the difference has been vaccinations, and that's why we're seeing you know, like Hong Kong, where they haven't vaccinated them. Mm. You know, enough of their elderly population, their hospitals are being overwhelmed. Uh, I mean, if we <laughs> if we got to a point where, where a new variant came along and started to experience the kind of disaster that they're having in Hong Kong, where uh, patients are sharing wards with yeah. corpses and body bags, then uh, maybe that would be enough to, to you know make the public comply. But uh, it, it's you can't never say never, but uh, mm -hmm. it, it would be a hell of a thing if a variant mutated so far that the vaccines we have were completely useless um, against it. It was described to by scientists in, in in this way that the virus doesn't want to kill us; it just wants to spread. Mm -hmm. All it wants to do is spread. It doesn't it doesn't mind whether it gives us a mild cold or whether it gives us a serious illness. Yeah. It's not the it's not the it doesn't have an intent. It's just about about preservation so maybe it's going to going to peter out we, we, should, yeah. we, shall, we shall see i mean yeah the, i think that the, the only thing with that with uh, with covid is that the nature of covid being that um that the incubation period it can spread before anyone has symptoms the, one of the difficulties with covid is that yeah it, you don't know it, it would have spread before it killed you so yeah. in that sense it doesn't have a particularly there's not a particular evolutionary advantage for it to be less lethal um, all i can say is it's jolly oh, sneaking for doing this <laughs> really sneaky stuff, sneaky stuff. But uh, Hannah, Hannah, you mentioned Partygate. We'll come to that in a moment. But but it, we it would be remiss in the extreme not to bring us up to date with the the latest in Ukraine. There's peace talks, but no great no great optimism from them. L let's bring all of you in on 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 this, Hannah, uh, David, and and Helen. Um, uh, Hannah, what what where, where are we? What, what's the latest? You know, there's, there's Mariupol. There's the peace talks. Bring us up to speed if you would. So, first of all, apologies, because I might have a bit of background uh, noise. But in terms of Ukraine, I think that, you know, Maria Paul's still being completely obliterated uh, all the time. It doesn't, you know, there have been talks of humanitarian corridors to get out and things, but the number of people who are getting out of there really is minuscule compared to the overall population. It's a real humanitarian crisis. There's people stranded without food, without water. You know, yeah. there was um, some Ukrainian MPs who were in Westminster last week who um, I got the chance to speak to, and they were saying that people have been drinking from the sewerage systems oh, for, to have water, and it's just it's awful. So Mariupol doesn't look, you know, there doesn't seem to be much progress there. Really. Putin is now saying he wants complete surrender of, of, of Mariupol as a price for ending the shelling, but, you know, there's understandable antipathy to that. Yeah, well, it's also, you know, from one side you can see, like, like Vladimir Zelensky and the Ukrainians in general are saying, well, we don't actually trust a, a thing that he says unless no. he actually stops shelling no. us, we're not going to trust it. No. But I think that people are concerned that if he, you know, if he es essentially wants to take Mariupol, the next point that he would try is Odessa, presumably, yeah. because that then would cut off Ukraine. From, you know, from the and, sea. Yeah, and he would have yeah. then so much kind of power over Ukraine as a country. So it's hard to imagine why he would just go for Mariupol and then leave it at that and leave Odessa yep. the way it is. But given the extent of the devastation that's been wreaked on Mariupol and, and other places, he'll be taking over a desert. You know, the, the, there will be nothing to take over. It will be 
it will be uh, hollow in that regard, and he will have hollowed out the place. What about, well, bring in David? David, what, what about the, the, the peace talks? They, 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 there was a bit of optimism for a brief spell yesterday when we had that offer from Ukraine to, to look at uh, a neutral stance, and that would appear to be something that Russia wants, certainly an absence of commitment to NATO. And then it all kind of faded out a little bit again, didn't it? Well, yeah, as Hannah said, there's there's just no trust um, between between the sides, and you can see why, um, given what, what Russia yeah. has done. Um, I mean, Russia looks unlikely to sort of st- soften its stance on um, its sort of claim to Crimea and sort of the eastern regions. It thinks it it has sort of rights over. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, the, the the prospect of a peace deal looks quite appetizing, given the sort of devastation. But yeah. I think we're a long way to go before that actually becomes anything realistic that that could bring an end to any of this. Yeah. Helen, just ob- observing, you know, not your area of speciality, but but observing. Uh, were you seeing signs of hope and optimism or, or are those almost instantly crushed or were they perhaps illusory in the first place? Well, the, the fact that you know, Putin was even giving you know, a suggestion of a, a possible peace deal perhaps, the, perhaps was a cause for optimism, although obviously anything that he does is in his own self-interest and what he... Yeah. Is probably trying to do really is is save face. I think the the ideal for Putin is to uh, extract Russia from this while saving face and saving his own premiership because that that was really what Which this will be his that, that, that's what's, one yes, two or three concerns. Yeah, yeah. Slightly okay. dangerous, I suppose, for the international community is that we you know contents of purposes, I suppose, we are trying to appease him. Uh, because we don't want to escalate anything, we want this to end. And if it means that a portion of, of Ukraine is uh, is taken over by by Russia, then uh, I think the international community are willing to be up with that. But it's it's uh, very unfair for for people in Ukraine that you know have been through this ordeal. Um, it, you know, almost makes it seem like Putin has won in a way. But uh, you know, that's it's anything to kind of you know stop him from making things even worse. Okay, let, let's 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 leave that for, for there. We'll return, of course, to that, that topic again, um, uh, as and when there are there are developments. Hannah, let, let, let's go let's go to Westminster again, and the the, the exchanges at, at Prime Minister's questions. Keir Starmer initially going on the subject of taxation: has tax gone up or has tax gone down? And then piling in with with an attack on Partygate and and calling for the Prime Minister's resignation. Yeah, I mean, I think PMQs was. I don't want to say boring, right? Because it's my job to find <laughs> it really, really interesting. But I just not thought, to say boring. <laughs> well, I just thought with all the stuff that was going on at the minute, I just yeah, I thought it was a a strange PMQs. I can I, understand why you know all the opposition parties want to try and hammer the Tories on their spending, and because Rishi Sunak, you know, the spring statement last week was so badly received. Yes. It's kind of like an easy thing to to target, but I just thought the tax. Keir Starmer talking about just purely taxes rather than talking about the cost of living crisis, of living. Uh-huh. you know that kind of thing. I just thought mm, it's. it's Ian, bit... Ian Blackford perhaps went a little maybe better on that, and he was saying that there are millions of people tonight, tonight in, in Scotland and the UK, desperately trying to figure out how to afford the cost of energy, and then he gave a couple of examples, and he said, meanwhile, yeah. the Tory MPs were gathering. For a champagne bash in, Wash, in a yeah. setting, 
a bash. It's always a bash, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's it's really, who, 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 who was that coming in at the background there? It was like a, it was briefly like a pinter or a Beckett play for a while, you know. Oh, in my room. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a figure emerged and then waved <laughs> or something and then, then left. But very, very, um, very Pinteresque. I know it was my colleague uh, Richard from the Eye newspaper. He was ah, just coming okay. in to use the kettle, basically, because not every office has one. <laughs> more um, than welcome, more than welcome. Bring bring him in to join join the discussion. And uh, back back to it. So we we had the tax thing. Then Starmer went for. He, he says, you know, either either you know, with the the announcement by by the the, the Met of fixed mm. fines for twenty examples in in Downing Street. He said either the Prime Minister said nothing nothing was nothing was going wrong. Either he's trashing the ministerial code, or he was lied to by his own advisers. Which is it? Do you think he was effective in that? And then he demanded that that he go. I thought, well, for a start, I thought I was amazed that Partygate didn't feature more in okay. PMQs in general. You know, both you're right. They both Ian Blackford and Keir Starmer both found a way of getting. They, they maybe feel, it, do they feel it's a wee bit, you know, slightly tacky by what? Well, very yeah, tacky, but very, 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 very minimal nonsense by comparison with. Ukraine, Ukraine and the cost of living. Yeah, yeah, it is class to bring it up, but also I think that the party situation is something that the public are are still angry about. Uh-huh. And it's something that Boris Johnson does not absolutely want to talk about because unlike the cost of living, unlike Ukraine, he doesn't <laughs> he have an answer. He didn't he talk about it. He was he was asked about it and he didn't answer at all. He went he went no, about other He said something time. about he said something about Scotland, the, the Scottish government having to improve their education record. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, something amused me with this. This is this is this is several times now. He's tried to be chummy with Ian Blackford, suggesting mm. that they, you know, well, they're rough with each other in the Commons. They're actually mates behind the scenes. He's done that several times, mm. and today he tried to suggest that he was mates and they were working behind the scenes with the. Scottish government. What's that all about? Presumably, he's trying to undermine them in a, in, a, in a way by, you know, saying he's the, he's their friend. You know, in, on on yeah. the on the Groucho Marx principle of uh, never joining a club that would allow him in. I think so, but also, can I just say, he also keeps m- mocking Ian Blackford's weight, which I think yeah. is just just he did it again today. Doing that is kind of again today. You know, if the way I see it, if if Ian Blackford was a woman, it would be. You know, unacceptable, but somehow it's okay. okay to kind of poke fun at the way he looks. I just think like this is not—it's not appropriate for like yeah, the bring, biggest sort of political issue or you know political event of the week. But I don't know why in. he's kind of trying to make it out like him and Ian Blackford are are pals. It's a bit. Uh, well, he, do, he does. He did it again today, and it's not the first time he's done it. He's done it several times. He keeps saying, let, 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 "Let's bring in the others." Not, not so much on that, but on. On where where you think that's going, Helen? Helen, where do you think Partygate's going as as an observer? Is it is it are folks still talking about it? Do you think? Well, I think the probably what people want to know now is whether or not Boris Johnson is going to be one of the people who the is fined. Because yeah. Downing Street has said if he is one of those people, then we'll find out about it. And we'll I think that, up, yeah. I, I, that it seems to me that that is the point where it would get particularly difficult for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't at this stage. So, so much has happened since uh, you know, January, February with Ukraine and with the cost of living that um, I, I, I'm not sure, is there the same appetite within the parliamentary party to oust them? Because obviously we're at least, what, two years away from a general election, so the public don't have their chance to, if you like, cast their verdict on Partygate for another two years. It would be up to the parliamentary party whether they wanted to 
you know, push him out. Um, and, and I imagine that the, the point at which it would become particularly difficult for Boris Johnson is if he was one of the people to be fined. If he's named, if he's actually fined, if he, if yeah. he is fined, I mean, you don't get a criminal record, but but you 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 have got a fixed fixed penalty fine. David, what's what's your take on this? Where's where's it going, if anywhere? Well, again, it kind of depends on who who gets sort of done with these first fines. If if it's mm. Boris Johnson or any of the the sort of high profile people, then it puts it the pressure right back on again. Um, obviously, Keir Starmer's now sort of after stopping his sort of calls temporarily for him to resign because of the Ukraine crisis, he's kind of said, well, actually, no, now we need to, to look at this again. But Douglas Ross and the Scottish Tories, um, <laughs> they did it. They did the similar thing. They just said, well, actually, uh, I mean, no. it was about a week before he was due to um, appear at the conference, but they did say, well, hang on a minute, we need to let him look after the Ukraine crisis for us. But they haven't set out at all what happens if, these fines get levelled on Boris Johnson. I mean, really that, that, he, he's in a real guddle, isn't he, David? I mean, he really is in a guddle because he didn't just say, you know, you've been a naughty boy. He said that the, he should go, the Prime Minister should go, and the public could have no confidence in someone who behaved like that, you know, or, or you know, worse than that effect. I don't want to be, be precise about that. Yeah. But he, he did say, and then, then suddenly now he's, I mean, what's he going to do at the, the May elections? What's, what's he going to Okay, the May elections are local elections. What's he going to do when a general election comes along or, or Holyrood elections comes along? Not easy, well, is it, David? Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, to to be basically opposing your your leader at Westminster on on such a big issue that the the public are genuinely annoyed about, I think. Yes. And it, it, I mean, he will, uh, the prime minister will be nowhere near the sort of local election campaign. Um, he's he's okay. too toxic, I think, to a lot of voters up here before okay. this. Um, and yeah, he has backed himself into a corner on this. He doesn't really have a, an out, especially if these sort of fines materialise that Boris Johnson is one of these people. I mean, he's got a huge decision then. Whether he just sort of backs him or he, he changes his mind once again. It'll be a courageous copper that takes along the fixed fine penalty and says, hand that into the boss. But there we are. We, we, we shall see. Anna, Anna t- 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 a subject that was raised there by Helen, the, the timing of the next general election, it, it's not fixed anymore, is it? That, 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 that brief period has, has ended. And so it could be earlier than that. But on the other hand, we have the Chancellor promising a tax cut in 2024. It strikes me he's going to want to hang on to see that delivered before. Um, going to the public and asking for support. What, what do you reckon, Hannah? Yeah, so I think the late, the absolute latest that it could be would be June 2024, okay. I think. But the sort of consensus here at the minute seems to be it would be around about May 2024, which would be okay. the month, conveniently, the month after... After the tax cut kicks in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> things in his tax yeah. cut, so... You'd think that, it was planned. You'd think it was planned. I bet it's you know, not. It's not it's just good timing. Accidental. Coincident. Yeah. yeah. Where, where, where do you think it's... Where's party get going? Is the Prime Minister in, in off the hook, on the hook, in trouble? What? I mean, there's no... No chance in hell you can say he's off the hook. He's absolutely not. Yeah. The only reason he's off the hook, let's just be honest, is because of Ukraine. I mean, yeah. you know, parties or a war in Ukraine, possibly a European-wide war on the brink. Yeah. Really, which one is more important? But yeah. it is uh-huh. still important. And the thing that the thing that journalists that we've been trying to, to, to get from number 10, really, in the past couple of days since the Met announced these fines... Uh-huh was, you know, is Boris Johnson going to correct the record? Because he said in the Commons, and he said repeatedly, yeah. that all rules had been followed at all followed. times. Yep. Now, yep. their line on this appears now to be that it's up to the Met to decide if all rules had been followed. And oh, 
no, our point that, is, well, the Met has clearly decided that the rules have not been followed. Not been followed so, yeah. you know, plus, it's all... Plus, it's, it's, all not, plus it's, not, it's not up to the Metropolitan Police. They're not responsible for what the Prime Minister says in, no. in the House of Commons here assembled. He, he's no. responsible for that. There's no question about that. Exactly. So I think, yeah, no. you know, really the, the, ne- the next test in terms of the whole Partygate thing, one, the local elections to see if it has an impact and has a dent on the Tories. Number two... It looks like the Sugay report, the the final thing will probably come after the elections, which is convenient for Boris Johnson. But when that all comes out, the, the full Sugay report, you know, that's really where people, you know, we might see this resurgence of people putting in letters to the 1922 committee. Because, yeah. of course, a lot of them have now withdrawn the letters that they put in before. So it's just, you know, I can't keep up sometimes down here. It's like <laughs> back in the box. Well, 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 I'll tell you what, Hannah, if, if your pal wants to come in and get a biscuit, he's more than welcome, you know. To, to, to oh, no, he's away, he's away back to his office now. So with with his like... tea. He's got his tea, though. That's all right. We're, yeah. we're, we're <laughs> talking about leaders in trouble, David. Um, Nicholas Sturgeon facing persistent questions anyway, whether they are damaging questions, another matter, but persistent questions over ferries and the Ferguson order and, and the, the, the series of uh, uh, challenges thereon. Bring us up to speed on that. It's it's still being pursued very substantially by opposition parties. Yeah, I mean this the 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 Calmat ferries is a, a saga that hasn't really gone away for the SNP government. They've not been able to sort of shake the the criticism. No. Um, it, I mean it was a ninety seven million pound contract signed back in two thousand fifteen, which is now ballooned to, I think the latest is two hundred fifty million. It's um, five years late, and obviously the public purse is having to pick up the difference. Yeah. Um, but although this was 2015, it's been sparked by sort of a new report by Audit Scotland, which mm-hmm. basically pointed out that ministers approved the contract um, despite sort of warnings it, ca- it carried, I think, a significant risk for public money. Yeah. Um, and it, ha- it didn't have the usual safeguards sort of in place. I think it was a builder's um, refund guarantee, which would normally be in place on these schemes. Uh, and it wasn't there. And the Scottish government have still been unable to sort of answer why, why that was missing. Um, and we had Jim McCall, who was the sort of uh, who was in charge of um, the yard at the time, mm-hmm. who basically said that it was rushed through for sort of political gain by the and Scottish he government. He, ne- he wishes he'd never touched it. He wishes. Well, nice, yeah, he says. Like, and then he forms something to go back at him. You know. Yeah, it's just become a bit of he said, she said. Yesterday, it was just a bit of a row between who signed the contract, who who didn't, and it was just yeah, it's, it's become a bit of a farce to be honest. Um, but the Scottish government hasn't covered itself in glory and how it's handled it and more accusations that it's kind of hiding something. Again, it doesn't look oh, good right, when you okay. can't answer sort of basic questions. Okay. H- Helen, again, as an observer, it's not, not your field, but as an observer watching it, do, do you see Nicola Sturgeon in substantial trouble here? I mean, she did try and she tried to say, you know, the, the, the minister whose responsibility to sign it off was Derek Mackay, who has de- departed from, from office, but she made no attempt to disguise the fact that it was, it was her call, the buck stop with, with her. But what's your take on the extent of trouble that she is in on this one, again, observing from, from a different mm. speciality. Well, I, I, I suppose I used to be, before I was health correspondent, I was transport correspondent. Oh. So, it, so yeah, <laughs> so I suppose this, this saga must have begun while I was on the uh, the transport brief. Your, but, fault. Um, your, your fault. All right. Okay. Well, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think, um, I think one of the, the, the biggest difficulties of this is that at the, as things stand, who actually is like, Taking responsibility for this in the sense of yeah. not being a, a you know a kind of 
you know, mess up of this proportion would result in someone's head rolling. And at the moment, no one's head rolled yeah. apart from Derek Mackay, who conveniently like for you a know, different reason, yeah. Exited stage left, yeah. uh, you know, more than three years ago. Pursued by um, a bear, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I think that's surely got to be a source of frustration to the public. And that is often the case, I suppose, with these kinds of projects. Uh, you know, like dance projects as well. It's like things that are signed off by one minister and then over a period of years, you know, descend into fiasco. Well, you know, by the time it's you know coming to fruition, whoever was responsible has that uh, has left. Although the Scottish government would say that Jim McCall is uh, is responsible, and he would obviously deny that. Uh, exactly how much trouble is Nicola Sturgeon in yeah, on it? Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends. It depends whether ultimately, I suppose this is going to roll on. Um, do further revelations come out that, that um, point the finger more at the Scottish government than at um, you know, the responsibility of the shipyard itself? Uh-huh. You know, we'll, we'll see. Um, at the moment, at the moment, I, I, she's not going to resign over it no. as things stand. I think, um, I think not. No. no. And what's your take? Well, to be honest. Again, I'm not that up in the ins and outs of it, but just what Helen was saying there, I think it reminds me a bit of the Queen Elizabeth Hospital fiasco as well, where it was a big project that there was confusion over the specifications and and nobody got the sack for that, actually, no. as no. well. And, you know, it's not like, yeah, okay, the minister who, Jean Freeman at the time, she wasn't in charge of health at that you know when it first got commissioned, but even the people, the people at the health board, were the same people, and nothing happened there. Um, I do think as well, it's quite convenient to blame Derek Mackay. I, I I say that as an observer as well because you know. To be, to be fair, Nicola Sturgeon, she, she didn't say it was Derek Mackay. She just said, "Look, it's a, it's a matter of fact that the mm. transport minister at the time was." D. Mackay, but but I I take you know she she said I as first minister take the the general yeah. responsibility. But you're right, it is it is a convenient one, isn't it? Well, yeah. it's convenient unless Derek Mackay decides that he might want to say something about that and and He's you been, know been quiet for a while, hasn't he? For for different reasons. David, final final yes. word to you. Final word to you, perhaps. Where, where do you where do you see this one going? The, the I mean, Nicola Sturgeon's defence is that the jobs have been saved at the yard and the yard is still in business, uh, you know, which it would not have otherwise been, uh, and now has a chance to, to rescue these orders. She doesn't try and pretend that they've been well handled. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to rumble on until these ferries actually materialise and they're actually in operation. But yeah, there's no getting away from... fully function when they finally arrive. You can imagine that will be the next... It's first sailing and it breaks down. Oh, don't say that. Well, that, 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 might be the, that might be the point where uh, someone has to resign. <laughs> over the sea of sky. Or over the bridge <laughs> of sky as it is these days, yeah. But David, I mean, sorry, carry. They are, they are a disaster. I mean, there's, there's no getting away from it how yeah. important they are to island yes, communities. Yes, they are. They're critically important. Critically so, important. I mean... And it is... From an opposition point of view, it is the sort of perfect ammunition, the fact that this has just snowballed into a complete disaster. Um, and again, like the, the Tories earlier this week were asking um, for sort of an inquiry to take place to sort of to, to put out how what has actually happened. And the Scottish government insists that they've been quite upfront and quite open about it. And there's there's not really much more for them to say. So, yeah, it doesn't look like anyone's going to resign over it. 
whether whether they should or not is is something else. In the early instance, I, I, we're just the, the, the ferries. Are, we we should remember that. I mean, we're we're mostly living in the mainland, but the ferries are critically important, as we know, to the the Western Isles, the Northern Isles, the the, the inner and outer Hebrides. And I always remember that that little verse, if I can remember it, that the earth belongs into the Lord and all uh, and all all that it contains except the west of Scotland peers, because they're owned by McBrains. And it's always the memory of the, the extent of the importance of those folks. I'm going to thank you very much indeed. Uh, Hannah's off to make uh, some, some tea for our chum and, and, and take him a set of biscuits. We're all going down there to join her. David Ball, Helen McCardle, Hannah Roger. Thank you very much indeed. And thanks to all of you uh, for tuning in to this Herald podcast. From me, Brian Taylor, with Logan. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant, unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. 